All right, open up to the book of Galatians, please. And you get to hear the whole thing. This is our last lesson, so I'm going to read through the whole, and then we'll hit the last few verses and call it a wrap. All right, Galatians 1, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem and to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Then, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour 
so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked in Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked in me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus." so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law? or by hearing with faith. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I am speaking in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. What I am saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be, for if a law had been given, which is able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed." Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by which are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored, labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my body, bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. 
Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish, wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what do the Scriptures say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of a free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ." For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So hopefully in reading back through the book, it, it was helpful to you to remember what we've gone through. Hopefully this time there was more understanding than the first time we read through it. I think we did that in the first class. And um, hopefully, hopefully it's clarified a bit of uh, passages. This is, a, this is a hard book. It's one of the harder letters, I think, of Paul, um, especially when he's trying to navigate how the law fits in, you know, how Moses fits in with Jesus and just how to work those things together. What, and, and again, the main, the main purpose of the book is what? You just heard it. So what's the main purpose of the book? What comes across? 
The law doesn't save you. Yeah, let's put it positively. The law doesn't save you. You are justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Okay? There is no way to get out of this book without that coming out and smacking you across the face. Okay? It is what the Apostle Paul is pounding. And that's a good thing because works are tainted always. Sinners who do works do tainted works. Okay? They, they don't have, they don't build merit. Okay? They, they build demerit. And that's all they build. And the way to be justified, the way for God to say you're righteous is merely by faith. Faith alone. Faith alone. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Ascending to the truth and believing that truth, right? And um, trusting in that truth alone. Not by your works. Alright, so we get to the... So you, you feel his ups and downs when you read the whole letter and hear it read, right? He, he gets hot and then he'll come back and he'll sort of conciliate a little bit and be like soft a little bit. And then he gets hot again and, and, and then he'll conciliate a little bit. Um, and so he, I think, I think the only place where we see the Apostle Paul m- more intensely um, committed to the sheep with his whole being is uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians, the very end of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is just like, he's just going crazy. I mean, he even says, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy when I say this, but he's going after them, right? And he's very intent on getting them to respond to him. And so we see this here. And but the last verse, we, we go through all of this and he returns to that, you know, new creation and peace and mercy. And then verse 17 is stuck there at the end. And he says, let no one cause me any more trouble. Done with this trouble. No one caused me any more trouble. <laughs> Now, he gives a reason for that. He gives a reason for why he says, let no one cause me trouble. And the reason is this, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. He doesn't say, because I've taught you everything you need to know, just stuff it in your brain. He says, don't cause me trouble because I have suffered for the gospel. I've really suffered for the gospel. And so don't cause me any more suffering. I mean, it's, it's an interesting statement. Um, he, he certainly doesn't want the Judaizers troubling these, these heretical Christians, the Judaizers. He does not want them continuing to teach in the Galatian region, right? And so in some sense, he's saying them to get out of Dodge. You know, you're, you're not going to spread your, your heresy anymore. But the Judaizers are completely defeated by his arguments. I mean, the gospel does not, we are not saved 
by our works. And that is what the Judaizers were attempting to do. And he destroys that. And the, the Holy Spirit destroys that view through his writings. Um, and, and he expects that the church will um, now have all that it needs to take care of itself. He's, he's given them the teaching they need, and now that the, the church needs to take it up and fight these Judaizers themselves, get them out of town, refute their arguments, right? That's what, he, um, that's what he's saying here as well. But it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul is asserting his authority based upon the amount he has suffered for the gospel. Um, he bears on his body the marks, the brand marks of Jesus. Now, this is not Francis of Assisi, suddenly, you know, the, the stigmata appear on the wrists. I, I don't think it's that at all. This is not Paul saying that he suddenly had these, these things appear. He's talking about the 39 lashes he received. He's talking about the shipwreck. He's talk, talking about um, imprisonments and the lashings and the beatings with rods and, and day and night in the deep, right? And being in danger from rivers and danger from robbers and, and Gentiles and in the city and in the wilderness and the sea you know, all those sleepless nights being often without food and the cold and exposure, you know, you would see all of that in his body. I mean, he would just be wasted by all of that. You know, an unimpressive man already. Uh, they didn't like him because of his character and his, his ugliness and his short baldness and and now, and now he's kind of, it seems like his eyes are, are gone, so he's, he's probably blind. And there's nothing unimpressive about him except for his body is a history of the things Jesus made him suffer. His body is a book of suffering, right? And what did Jesus say when he called Paul? He said, I'm going to show you the things that you must suffer. And now he's saying, look, um, but not only, not only is that they're the physical thing, Paul in Philippians says, I've suffered the loss of all things. I've suffered the loss of, of friends, of family, of, of opportunities to work, of vocation, of whatever. He's lost everything, but regards it as, you know, rubbish in light of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. 1 Corinthians 4, he says, For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We, you are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, are poorly clothed, are roughly treated, and are homeless, and we toil, working with our hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become, as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. 
welcome to the ministry, Apostle Paul, right? Welcome to faithful witness. That's what happens. There's another guy named Epaphroditus. Do you know who Epaphroditus is? What book is Epaphroditus mentioned in? Yes, thank you for that. What chapter? <laughs> chapter 2. In chapter 2, you know, um, Paul is... Paul, well, I'll, I got it here. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. So Paul's not with them. He's going to send them, this man Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Right? So the church hears that Epaphroditus is sick, and that troubles Epaphroditus because he doesn't want them to be like undone by it. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and then this, and hold men like him in high regard." Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. It's even as if in that last statement that Epaphroditus went to Paul and that was the risking of his life. Paul brought something from the Philippians for Paul and he had risked his life to serve Paul and to serve Christ in that. But there's that statement, hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Well, if that's true of Epaphroditus, that's a hundred times true of the Apostle Paul, right? He had suffered for the gospel and he was therefore to be held in high esteem. He therefore had authority. He therefore could, at the end of the letter, say, would you stop troubling me? Would you stop troubling me? Right? It, it's, um, I'm trying to come up with an analogy, but it's not, not quite there, so I won't start and have to back out. Um, we should pay attention to those who have suffered for the gospel. You know, and, and I don't know if any of us have suffered for the gospel in the ways that we've read. Um, uh, I'm not talking, we haven't suffered to the level of the Apostle Paul. I think all of us have suffered for the gospel, right? Hopefully. Um, but we, should, we ought to pay heed to those who have suffered for the gospel. Not suffered because of bodily illness, not suffered because of because of um, circumstances that were out of their control, but suffered for the gospel. They wanted to serve Jesus, they served Jesus, and it was very costly. We ought to just highly, highly respect those who serve in that way because we just don't have a lot of examples of that, do we? 
We don't have much opportunity to honor those who have suffered for the gospel because so many today just profit from the gospel, right? So many make loads and loads of money preaching the gospel today. You know, it's not, it's not the sort of, uh, in the call to Evangel Presbytery, you know, when you give a pastor his salary, you say that he might be free from worldly cares. Well, <laughs> one person's free from worldly cares is not another person's, and, you know, someone might think they need a yacht to be free from worldly cares. And there are Christian pastors who think they need that yacht. There are people who preach the gospel for selfish ambition. That's why they do it. They have selfish ambition. They like the payoff. Right? They like the payoff. They do it merely t- to be recognized as some sort of leader or intellectual and to bring home the paycheck. I don't trust any Christian minister who is on the speaker circuit, the big reform speaker circuits, because they're taking home large checks after every one of those, and some of them spend 35 to 50 weeks a year on the road, okay? And it's not as if, okay, I'm, I'm on my high horse, I realize that, okay, but It's not as if there isn't technology that could get their message out for much cheaper, actually for free, right? It isn't as if, you know, there there are things that, um, but no, it's, they would not want to give up the, the crowds and the spectacle and the numbers and the pay, right? It is scandalous. Right? It is scandalous how many people not only don't suffer for the gospel, but have made the gospel that which has led to extreme worldly comfort. Right? And the richer the pastor gets, the less he has to say that would sabotage his, his income. Who wants to give up a million dollars a year? No one. No one. Now, we do, we, not, not on that scale, but we do similar things. When um, There are times when we had opportunities to suffer for the gospel and we chose, mm, nope, I'm going to pull, pull the parachute. I'm, I'm going to escape out of this. This happens around the, the Thanksgiving table, right? I mean, you're like, are they really going to want to talk about this? Because I have such crazy opinions on that. I mean, their heads will explode when I share my opinion. And we say, no, it's not worth the cost. <laughs> We're not willing to suffer, right? We just say, no, uh, it's not worth the cost. I, I just... I got to remain respectable. I mean, yeah, respectable. I've got to remain, I've got to, I've got to keep my reputation together. 
And so we often pull our punches, right? But this is, but this is um, even still, this is not to say that there are those who have done worse than us and have made oodles and oodles and oodles of money and power and um, from the ministry. And those are the men who have soft hands and large houses. Who, but, but it's, it's strange in Philippians 1, Paul's like, yeah, I get it. There are men who make, who make a lot, who have selfish ambition in preaching, but as long as Christ is preached, <laughs> he's just like, as long as Christ is preached, then let them do what they're going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. At least in Paul's case, they were preaching Christ, which brings them up a notch from some of those that I know who don't preach Christ. So at least those who had selfish ambition had the gospel right, is what Paul's, Paul's saying. You know, if they, were pre- if they were preaching heresy, Paul would not have been so... Um, so kind because we see what he does with heretics in the book of Galatians. I wish they would even mutilate themselves. Right? Um, All Christians have wounds if they have been faithful. You will have wounds and you have wounds from when you are faithful. Right? Right? You were faithful in something and your friends thought you were foolish and rejected you. You were faithful in telling your friend that he should not live with his girlfriend and he never spoke to you again. You know, you were faithful, you were faithful to tithe and it got really hard. <laughs> it got really hard to pay the bills and live the lifestyle I wanted to. Right? They're hits. They're hits that we take. And they're wounds, right? But faithfulness brings along with it wounds, right? If you've been faithful, you will have wounds that you could show as Paul did, though not, not as physical. But maybe in, in certain circumstances, some of you bear physical marks from following Christ. Um, I have no idea. Um, But if you lack wounds, you've caved in the face of difficulties. I have caved in the face of difficulties. I have caved when I should have been faithful. I've done it, and it's it's shameful. God puts an opportunity in front of you, and you decide, no, I don't want the wound, I don't want the pain, I don't want, and I don't want the glory (laughs) in the end. I just want to be at peace with people. Um, You've decided that the cost of faithfulness to Christ is not worth the rejection of friends and family. But it really is now time to stop that. Isn't it? It really is time for us to mature and stop that. Because Christ is worthy of your faithfulness. He died for you, right? He's worthy of your faithfulness. He didn't just die for you. Think of the wounds of Christ that are part of his glory, right? He bore the wrath of God, 
No one's been wounded quite like Jesus was wounded. And we ought to hold in high esteem those who have suffered for the gospel. Christ above all, right? But the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, Epaphroditus, you know, um, Timothy, others um, we could go through here. Um, but it's time that it's time to stop that and and to live for Christ, to to stop um, putting our reputation above faithfulness. We really need examples of faithfulness in our church, in our in our midst. We always do. Every church needs it. I'm not saying that's unique to ours. Every church needs examples of faithfulness. We are to imitate Paul as Paul imitated Christ. And so, who in here um, starts that chain, right? Esther Dion needs to imitate Paul who imitated Christ. And what did they do? They suffered for the gospel. Wounded for their faithfulness. And so, um, that's the Apostle Paul here, sticking out... Um, sticking out his neck. Do you think that the Apostle Paul, when Peter showed up in town, was like, boy, faithfulness is really going to be great here. I can't wait to be faithful with the Apostle Peter. No. In fear and trembling, he went to Peter and said, Peter, you're condemned. You can't do what you're doing. You can't do what you're doing. Thankfully, it seems that the Apostle Peter heeded him. And, uh, and yet, there's Paul having to do the wounding thing of standing in front of everybody and rebuking another apostle. And he's already had to just to defend his apostleship. And so he's rebuking the apostle. Right? Petrus. So, um, anyway, I love, I, I've enjoyed this study. I hope it's been helpful to you. I hope it has encouraged your faith. I hope that, as it says at the very end of the book, the grace, no coincidence there that he ends with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Right? I hope that you understand that God is gracious, and justification comes through grace, right? That faith, that's a gift of God. God has done all the heavy lifting for you, and you just put your trust in him, and he will carry you home, right? He, he has finished the work, and so praise God. We don't have to add to it. We don't, um, we don't have to return to the shadows of the law and and start sacrificing animals. We don't have to go back and, and wash leprosy off the walls of our houses. We don't have to go back to the cleanliness laws. We do not have to do those things. And those things were never meant to be what the Pharisees made them, which is salvation. Never were they ever meant to be that. And so, praise God for His grace to us in Christ and the salvation we have by faith alone. 
Any question? We have one minute for one question. Anyone got a thought they want to share? Not sure where we'll go next. I think next Sunday I will report, Lord willing, on the Presbytery meeting that we have on Friday. So I'll bring a report on what happened and what we did at that meeting and then um, may take up another uh, book by the Apostle Paul um, for the coming uh, couple of months. Uh, oh, snuck it in, man, snuck it in. Um, I mean, no, we don't. We, we have, we know that when Paul went to the region, when he went to Lystra, Lystra is in the Galatian region that they persecuted him. Um, but that, you know, as far as the timing um, I, I don't think we get any response or find out from an early church father what happened to the churches in the region on this front. Uh, it'd be be great reading. With Corinth, the churches in Corinth, we learn from Clement, the early church father, that that church fell apart. Gone. You know, two books, two letters, maybe three letters from the Apostle Paul. And God, God took away that lampstand there. In Corinth. So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. What a joy it is to learn about our Savior and his glorious work and his work on our behalf as our substitute. We thank you that we are justified by faith and that now our works are a, a hymn of praise, a, a, a fragrant aroma, a, um, an offering made to you uh, that, that comes out of that faith. Lord, I pray as we um, turn to our worship that you would in, encourage our hearts, that you would help us to lift our heads, that you would um, give us strength, and that you would feed us again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.